Why? Oh, God, I'm so stupid. I'm sitting here. I've clicked well the other keyboards at my feet. That's why I can't do that. Uh, yeah, so I've got the mouse for the for the one computer, and I click to search something, and I'm typing onto my laptop. But the keyboard for the computer I'm looking at is at my feet. I can't type with my feet. No, because there's no because there's no light. If you were storm, wearing, you could. Well, I'm wearing socks too, so. I'm wearing black socks and a black keyboard underneath my feet, so all I see is blackness and a green light. Well, what's the thing with the, my left foot? You could probably type then. Daniel J. Lewis could do it. Let me see if I can... Wait. Well, you see, I can see the key, but then when I put my black sock up there, now I can't see the keys. Have you thought about picking up the keyboard? No, that would be giving up. So I'm going to try to hit the S... Oh, and I got ZA. Oh, that didn't work at all. Well, you, you, I'm sure you, you know, I didn't really get a look at your feet, but I'm sure they're not that thin. <laughs> I'm sure you don't have little dainty toes. Wait, hold on. I'm going to try to bend over. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably even a bigger problem right there. <laughs> I, I think I could do this. All right, I'm going to click that. And oh, I'm going for the S. S. See, ah, whoo, a little out of breath. Back to the bin. Did you see that Hope ran over a bunny? No, I missed that. Yeah, she ran over a bunny. She was pretty upset. Well, the bunny gets for being on the road. (laughs) Oh, you're so cold. You had to see me last week when I made veal for dinner and my daughter was complaining. (laughs) It's a cow. Eat it. (laughs) No, it's a baby cow. They torture them. They don't torture them. They kill them. Just like they kill the adult cows. You don't they, mind eating a hamburger. Just they, eat. They, they come right out and kill them. <laughs> so it's, it's more humane because they kill them when they're younger instead of making them suffer till they're old. Oh, the horror. Yeah, but it's good. But it's, my, my son is like, all right, he's got the knife and fork. He's got enough. He doesn't give a shit. Next. <laughs> but my daughter was very, very anti-veal. Poor little cow. But I can go on and on. For days with how cruel I am. So, who's bringing in the show? Not me. (laughs) I'm the producer. I say who brings in the show. Not me. All right, I'll bring in the show. La. La, 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 la. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I could try to bring it in if you want. Yes, bring it in. Bring it in. (laughs) Go ahead. No, no. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It's not like uh, I was bringing it in already before you started speaking. Was that what you were doing? Oh, I thought you were practicing. Yeah, I always practice, don't I? You notice how you do it like three or four times before I do it the right way? No, you don't notice it because I don't do that. Okay, I'll be quiet now. Too late. Too late. That's the intro. It's there. <laughs> what are you? What are you, Bill O'Reilly? Screw it. Do it live. Or, or uh, 
Who is uh, Casey Kasem? Did you ever hear that clip? Oh, yeah. Ponderous, man. It's ponderous. <laughs> so if anybody's listening and they haven't figured it out yet, I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by my comic foil, Dr. Bill Robinson. Oh, can I speak now? Speak now. Hi. <laughs> and if any of you are wondering why you don't do a podcast, now you know. Waka, waka, waka. If anybody needs a sidekick for a podcast, give me a call. I have somebody to recommend to you. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who Who's you going to send the boss, huh? <laughs> Uh, Dr. Bill, other than making me insane? <laughs> what, do I have anything other than making you insane? Uh, do, anything else going on in your life? Is there anyone else you're making insane? Uh, well, there's always my wife, but she gives it right back to me, and and, and then my kids, they give it back to me too. So uh, that's pretty much the usual sanity. Insanity. Lack of sanity. It's the, it's the, it's the Christmas insanity, I guess. The sanity-free zone. Ah, so it's just you and me tonight, huh? Yeah. So, well, you know, Scott came, he blazed brightly for a short period of time, and then he's gone. Mm. We didn't even have a chance to thank him. We hardly knew him. I mean, uh, yeah, he'll be back. What do they say? The brightest stars burn twice as fast, or the fattest stars burn a lot? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, one day Scott will be back, but you know, I, I guess we should take it as a compliment that he feels comfortable enough missing shows cause he's content with how we're doing or he just doesn't care. It's one or the other. Mm. You know, speaking of fat, I wonder how long I'll burn if they cremate me like a candle. I'll just keep going. Me. I want to get a Viking funeral. Mm. I want them setting me off on the water and then somebody has got to shoot the arrow. Yeah, but what if they keep missing? <laughs> and then I go off the off Sploosh. The <laughs> sploosh. Sploosh, sploosh. Give me that. Well, that's that was in Game of Thrones. Did you see that? Nah, I don't have HBO. Oh, that's sad. They uh-huh. they had a you know, somebody died and, and the person's son was shooting the arrows and, and couldn't get it and couldn't get it and couldn't get it, and then somebody just took the bow from him and did it. Did they smack him with the bow too? Uh, clearly he wanted to. <laughs> well, maybe my son Ben can launch an arrow into my, uh, flaming canoe or whatever. But I think, I think I'm going to have that written into my will that that's the way I want to go. Hmm. You're going to have your son do it or you want me to do it? Yeah. Like I'm going to live that long. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you you know maybe it's something like where when you're at the church they hand everybody a bow and an arrow, <laughs> flaming bow and arrow. Here you go, and then Next. they all shoot at the same time. I got it. No, I got it. How you go over to to, to the uh, to the casket and everybody puts a rose on it. Instead of that, everybody <laughs> just shoots a flaming arrow shoots at me. A flaming arrow into your chest. He's not even in the boat yet. What the hell's He's wrong with you? Not even dead yet. <laughs> Ow. Burns. <laughs> oh, but we're just. Why are we so macabre? <laughs> I know, we do spend an awful lot, lot of time talking about. Oh, when I die, I want this. 
my time with that. <laughs> Who's going to keep my comics when I die? Mm. Well, I know what music I want played already, so. I'm assuming it's by Darkside and Clyde. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, I should have those songs redone. <laughs> I wanted the Green Green Grass a Home by Tom Jones. Um, Spirit in the Sky. I'd like to hear Darkside and Clyde do Spirit in the Sky. I would think that would be pretty good. <laughs> Jay David, you listening? <laughs> uh oh. Alvin just came in. Hey, I got a cat update. This just in. My cat has worms. Oh, good. I was afraid he was digesting things too cleanly. No, no. No, no. I happened to see something lately and I went, what is that? Oh, my God. In the litter box? No, when he was, well, walking around and petting him, you know, and he turns and presents himself and I go, oh, okay. Okay. Got to get a napkin for that, folks. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next step when you go online, it says, oh, uh, you know, you have to examine the feces. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just assume that was a worm. I'm not going to go oh, digging. God. Oh, that's so gross. Put on the rubber gloves and, you know, the chopsticks. Dig, 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 That's what they showed. They showed a picture on the thing. The guy's like, pick, I'm like, well, get out of here. I'm not doing that. <sighs> you hear the moaning in, in the background? Is that a dog? That's my dog telling me he wants to go outside. He's going, I got worms too, man. So why don't we put a promo in here <laughs> while I go <laughs> let the dog out? Who? 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 Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have I'm now grown. moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Paul is taking the dog out. The dog has to go to the bathroom. The dog has to go to the bathroom. Paul has to wait for the dog to be done soon. So Paul will stand and he'll wait. He'll wait while the dog feels great paul is waiting for the dog the dog dog who has to go go the dog who has to go to the bathroom i'm running out of verses to sing so i'll just hum along and yeah i got nothing i think he's coming back Maybe not. Oh, Alvin wants to go out. Yeah, he's outside. Alvin's giving me the look. <laughs> is he giving you the I got a worm for you to pull out a <laughs> look? <laughs> no, no. Uh, we actually got him some deworming medicine. We started to give it to him tonight. So you don't have to pull the worms out of his oh, Did you actually see like a worm in his It was like hanging on the fur. Oh. And I was like, oh, no, I know exactly. And so I took like a tissue and I just 
you know, went back there and then I went into the bathroom and I'm like watching it. And then it like stands up on the tissue. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> that is really gross. Threw it in the toilet. Ah, I washed my hands. Uh, I washed my hands of the whole thing. Wash my hands of you, cat. Where'd he go? So, yeah, yeah. Alvin's got worms. Yeah, so I put a song on there about you taking a dog out sung to the girl from Ipanipa. Ipanema. Ipanema, whatever. Ipanipa. It's, it's the flagship song of the show. You should mm-hmm. know that's the right name. You know what? When I can figure out how, what I can keep in my head how old my kids are, I don't worry about remembering the name of the song. Uh, 17, 14, and 12. No, sorry, wrong. No, no, I don't I don't buy it. I think I'm right. You think you're right. I know is, I'm right. Which is what's really sad. You would keep it up on New 52? No, I've, I've actually lost interest in most of the New 52. I've been and, and what I haven't lost interest in, I've fallen behind on. Hmm. Phantom Stranger, you're still doing that? No, I've fallen behind on that. The ones I still had interest in were uh, Phantom Stranger, All-Star Western, Batman. That's about it. Oh, and Aquaman. Uh, But I've fallen behind on all of them. And I don't really feel any... Like, it's imperative that I have to catch up on them. Right. So I don't know if I'm gonna or if I'm just gonna let it fall by the wayside. But then, to be fair, I'm full. I've I've still had interest in some Marvels, and I've kind of lost interest in them also. But I was reading uh, Superior Spider-Man, uh, Indestructible Hulk, uh, All New X-Men, and New Avengers, and I've kind of fallen behind on all of them too. Did you read? Uh, did you read? What is it? Infinity Four. I didn't read any of the Infinities. Uh, there's one good scene in there that really sticks out above the rest, um, where Thor uh, goes as like an emissary to these this, these uh, beings that are basically taking over the galaxy. The ex Nilo. Yeah. Did you hear about that? I, I've seen enough of it to kind of know who they are, but I didn't hear about the Thor scene. Yeah. I'll let you read it. I think it's in Infinity 3 or 4. It's good. Oh, 3 or 4. It's 3 or 4. Oh, a lot of lumps. Tiggies me a headache. Well, the guy didn't have a headache, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. We got some email to read. What's this? A letter for me. Uh, you want to start us off or you want me? Um. All right. Uh, starting off. First <laughs> no, email I... is from Jason Trenner. And it's titled, Oru Hammer Beats Paper, Scissors, and Rocks. Back to the Bins Thor special. Hey, guys. So we've come to the Thor tie-in special. Boy, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? It seems like it. Uh, And we start off with Loki's first appearance and battle with Thor, which I hope won't involve ants kicking his ass this time. I mean, Pym didn't even have a shotgun or ray gun on hand for that one. Yeah, I had to make a reference to that. Not sure having a leaf fly into someone's eye counts as shedding a tear for his plight, but got to have Loki get out of the tree somehow, and somehow has a mental link with his hammer. 
Huh? Oh, with Thor's hammer. That's right. Mm. Oh, yeah. Weird Loki turns three people into Mr. Negative, and things get even more Silver Age weird from there, including Thor... Including Thor not thought to be behind the destruction of parts of the New York subway, unlike what happened when the Hulk held up train tracks in the desert. Very odd start for Loki, who went on to do things like have to empower the Silver Surfer so Thor won't beat him like he was a gnat. Get the Avengers together by accident, or get the Axe of Vengeance going. Next is Thor 243 with Thor and friends plus Zarko the Tomorrow Man, with the time twisters born at the end of time, and let's say this becomes important for Universe X and Avengers Forever. Thor versus a T-Rex, well that's cool. Then a bunch of other stuff for them to fight in the time stream. Zarko shows he's a piss poor ruler. Odin seems to name everything after himself. Wonder if his bathroom has the Odin shower, Odin sink, and Odin toilet. I think he has the Odin toilet paper. I don't know about the rest, though. Third, it's, we have Scott's... It's rough as sandpaper and doesn't take shit off of Thor. <laughs> Third, we have Scott's Thor origin. And yes, I do remember when Walmart used to sell comic supplies and issues of comics. And I remember the packaged issues... Though for me, it was a three packs of random issues or so. I also find Tom DeFalco is an underrated writer. His FF run went was underway when I got into comics. Thor going cosmic versus a giant space god. Did the issue refer to the events when Odin and all the Norse gods, gods sans Thor, went into the Destroyer armor and used a sword made of a metal that made the rest of the second volume of the trade paperback of the issues vaguely worth being called The Eternal Saga. Sorry found the first volume of The Eternal Saga, aka Thor's first contact with the Eternals and such, to be great. But the second volume, frankly, beyond that metal used in the giant sword, had jack squat to do with the Eternal stuff. And said blade pierced one of the Celestials, and it was about as effective as if they farted in his face. So, basically pointless weapon in Volume 2 of the Eternal Saga trade, not really worthy of the name. Sorry about getting sidetracked there, but let's just say Thor's in big trouble in the issue Scott picked, which of course Thor is very aware of. Of course Thor is in in an even weirder position than he thought, and in danger from some crazy stuff. And very awesome fight, and Thor weakened from the brawl, and his hammer actually shattered to hit the Celestial. And then an army of brutes after him. Not sure how Thor, Thor got out of that one. Well, stay tuned and read the next issue. I got no problems with Thunderstrike. He was an interesting character and sad he died. As for DeFalco, he, he's done some runs on Legion Lost, the current Superboy, and others. Not sure if you'd want to check that out, but there is the Thunderstrike miniseries that has Thor and Thunderstrike writer and artist together. I disagree a bit with Tom on the Legion Lost Withering. That's really shitty. The culling event in that run didn't do the title any favors. Man, that was crap. Also, or I should do that in the Christopher Walken voice, right? That was crap. There you go. Thank you. Also, didn't help the entire run. Had the team seemed to be played for being chumps when they were experienced heroes. And the FF run DeFalco had was several years long. After Walt Simonson left, he was the writer from 1990 or so to 1995. 
Do you have the same disconnect with this Fantastic Five and A Next stuff, Scott? Unfortunately, Scott's not here to answer that. As hey, how's it going? <laughs> as for the clone saga going on too long, well, the marketing department forced that one on the writers and editors. And that's the letter just ends there. Well, the Falco run, I that was, uh, yeah, it was pretty long. I think, wasn't that close to uh, issue 400? That was the one where uh, building up to that, Reed had disappeared again. Him and Doctor Doom, I think, had disappeared, and then they, they came back towards issue 400. Reed had the beard. He, do you remember that? Not really. Beard and long hair. <laughs> okay, moving oh, on. No, actually, I do remember that, yes. That was when he got stuck in that other area. I'm sorry, yeah, was I like, just... Was it, it was like another... I don't remember Dimension, World, Pocket yeah. Universe. Doom had him go there with him, but... Okay, uh... So, let me see. What is our next letter is from Jason Trenner. Subjects. Comics talking back to the bins, bastages. Mighty Thor 366. It had to happen. The Thor Frog Saga had to come up on the show at some point. Well, it would have come up earlier if I had done my book like I was supposed to for the Thor tie-in uh, for the uh, Thor episode, but I didn't, so... But I made up for it. Somehow I have a feeling, uh, I have a feeling if Loki knew Balder was yet another brother of his, he'd been more, he'd be even more angrier at being stopped from getting the throne of Asgard. Still, it was an interesting issue to see explored on the show. Aquaman was a bit odd given Black Manta. Uh, of course, now I'm singing, oh, Black Manta, keep on rolling. Mississippi, sorry, anyway. Uh, I guess my mind is a little derailed at times. Aquaman was a bit odd given Black Man a later did kill Aquababy in a similar way to what he did in the issue. Of course, Aquababy and Black Mana in any issue at all together is weird and a bit creepy, even what happened later, even with what happened later. And then learn more about dogs than I wanted to know. I'm just glad I have cats. And they don't have to go, and they don't get into my bedroom. Yeah, well, you know, as you've heard from this issue, yeah, cats, great. And finally, a Terminator issue from Now Comics, a really bad issue going by what uh, David said. Definitely not what Simon Furman later wrote for Dynamite Comics. Yeah, definitely not like Furman's LS. As the whole thing has people from a lunar colony... And tongue cameras sounds utterly insane. And the lunar people turn out to be robots in disguise. The, the, the effing Transformers. Oh, the mini cons from the Transformers or my comics got to be annoyed to share the moon with these guys. But a boom. The Inhumans and possibly Eclipso as well. Man, that's really crossing your, uh, your, uh, <laughs> your uh, companies there. Anyway, it seemed noteworthy only in that it was an attempt to keep the story going for the. Terminatorverse? Terminatorverse. That sounds like a, a something you eat. I'll have the Terminatorverse with a side order of uh, Armada Comics. Thank you. With just the original film as the only backstory we have, odd writing and subpar art make it not worth bothering with, it seems. All in all, an interesting ep and can't wait to see what you pull out of the back issue bin next time. Jason Trenner. All right. <laughs> Our next email is from Jason Sandberg. Scott, Paul, or excuse me, Scott, Paul, and Bill. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words about my artwork website, 
during the Avengers Spotlight email podcast. I'm passing along an ARC copy of one of my children's books, children's e-books, excuse me. I did an indie comic in the 90s called Jupiter, and I aim to make picture books that aren't a drag for parents, adults to read. Hopefully you'll find this one to be a feast for the eyes. I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't see that yet. Mm. I'm greatly looking forward to the Siege of the Avengers Mansion show, as are we. Mm-hmm. And everything else you guys will surprise us with in 2014. Thank you for putting nostalgia and fun into the long shifts at my day job, Jason. Ah, thank you, Jason. That's nice of you, and I appreciate it. And I'm sure the other guys do as well. And we'll have to check mm-hmm. out your ebook. You know, unfortunately, my kids are not at the age where I can read to them anymore. But uh, yeah, Bill you probably re- doesn't know if his kids are at that age or not, so he might. Why don't you go read to the dog? <laughs> and Merry Christmas, Jason. That was in your in your subject line. So, yes, Merry Christmas. All right, and our next. What do you got next, there, Bill? And our next letter comes from Jason Trenner. Merry Holy Crap, Demons, Toymen, and more Back to the Bins Christmas special. First, we start off with the Uncanny X Men once again with Kitty Pride alone for Christmas versus a demon from a nightmarish realm. Yeah, and then the Gary are back and probably would be less embarrassed thinking about what would have happened if Kitty here and not Wolverine became a hero and symbol of revolution to the other beings of that dimension. Yes, that did happen in the late 90s X-Men books. Wolverine really wasn't happy to be that to those demons as they were killing stuff and tried to kill the X-Men. Oh, Angel is telling Kitty lies as to graduate as to graduate the original X-Men. Uh, they just had to fight Magneto a bunch of times as they graduated in the sixth issue, issue of the comic. And yeah, I do remember that from actually, I remember from listening to exasperations because I remember them saying that, you know, at one point professor X just came up and said, all right, you've graduated. Hooray. Here's your diplomas. Get out. No, he didn't say get out. Yeah. He said clean. I think that's the kind of thing that they do. And then they regret it immediately. Yeah, because you know, he graduated I, that fast. Yeah, that and even like Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker graduating from high school was in, I don't know, an issue in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Like I think they, in hindsight, would look back on it and say, yeah, we should have made that go a lot longer. Yeah. Same thing with the school. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't until the 80s, starting with Kitty Pride and kicking into high gear with the New Mutants onward, that the school aspect of the a- X-Men has been made important. Uh, ah, yes, the subplots. Though it seems Thunderbird, the original one, is one of the few X-Men to stay dead. Yeah, yeah, he's right there. Because, uh, I mean, his brother came back. But, uh, yeah, the original's dead. D-E-E-D, dead. Oddly, <laughs> that wasn't Count Nefaria's first fight with the X-Men, as they had a really lame team way back in the early days of the team to fight them. Not kidding, as a lineup, uh, line... As the line of that was Scarecrow, the Eel, Plantman, Unicorn, almost wrote Unicron, and Porcupine. Yeah, that master, that masters of evil that sure wasn't. Well, maybe closer to Dr. Octopus's Masters Masters of of Evil. I was like, I I was going MOE, modus operandi. I. But but he purposely went for losers, big L on their forehead, that won't challenge him for that group. Still an interesting issue, guys. 
yeah, the next appearance of the, these guys was Wolverine Annual of 1985. And X-Men 71 starts the subplot that becomes the main plot in issue 75, where we see the Ruti, who had taken over the dimension with Wolverine's ripping the Gari up in the aforementioned annual. Then X-Men Black Sun. I read the Black Sun. I don't remember. God. Hmm. It's pretty bad when you read so many comic books, you forget them. I guess your brain can only hold so much. It's shut amazing. up. It's amazing. Shut help. up. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up, Spataro. <laughs> I Go wasn't going to say face. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure you weren't. <laughs> they, uh, then X-Men Black Sun, when they seem to retake their own dimension again. And finally, we last see them in X-Men Pixies and Demons from 2008. Next... We've got Superman 369. 69, dude. With Superman versus the Parasite. <clears throat> With Superman feeling down and alone that holiday season. And he clearly doesn't want to hang out with the Justice League or even Batman. Oh, like you want to hang out with Batman at Christmas time. That's going to be cheerful. <laughs> Mr. Happiness. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, of course, uh, Superman can. He can one-up them, you know. My parents are dead. My planet's dead. <laughs> Have you seen that new one with uh, Doctor Who? With uh, how it should have ended? With him and Batman and Superman? No, I haven't. But I'm not... I, I'm so, so far behind Doctor Who that I'm... Like, I wouldn't watch it yet. Oh, yeah, that's true. It might... Well, yeah. It, mm, all right, never mind. I'm, not because I'm worried about spoilers so much as I just figure I wouldn't get the joke. Hmm. No, I'm, I think it'd be all right. When when I'm as, you know, many years behind as I am at this point, I'm not really worried about spoilers. Hmm. Spoilers. And Parasite proving how big a jerk he is by wanting to torment Soups instead of actually feeling sorry for him after learning his feelings or acting on his feelings, such as smashing that Christmas tree while, while calling everyone ungrateful. Interesting, Clark... Interesting, Clark getting someone else to save him from an assassin. Got to admit, it's funny thinking about how long Parasite could have been in there. <laughs> it would be funny if it was days and his knowledge and powers he absorbed faded away and he was left wondering what the hell he was doing in that broom closet. <laughs> how did I get here? My God, what have I done? Letting the days go by. He probably this has to. My beautiful wife. <laughs> this is not my beautiful car. My God, what have I done? He probably has to have all that time from gaining. Uh, probably has. Probably has to have that all the time from gaining information from superheroes, and it fades away like a dream. And he's left wondering why he's. And I'm suddenly I'm Doug heading. He's left wondering why <laughs> he's waiting in weird places in Gotham or Coast City or Central City, etc. And Parasite beaten by green K deodorant. That's kind of cool. Really interesting to find out the Kent's had helped troubled teens before finding baby Kal-El. It sounds like something they would have done. Next, we got the first story in an issue of Marvel Weirdness. And boy, does it definitely cover that. Definitely not for kids. Yeah, that's for sure. Crazy stuff, and at least was an interesting pick. Can't wait to see what happens next. Happy whatever holiday this gets read on the air around. 
Jason Turner. Not spam. Okay. What's our next one? Our next email is from Brian Hughes, and it is titled, Not Spam, Back to the Bins Christmas Special. Hello, boys. LOL. Let me tell you, you guys really hit the spot. In the last couple of years, my life has gone through some real changes. I got promoted to a new job away from everyone that I had worked with over the last 12 years. So now I work from home in a corporate office all alone. All I've got, also, I've gotten married, had kids, and seen my personal life change a lot in that time. I had lost two of my best friends, one to a heart attack and another to cancer. These were a couple of guys that I spoke to about comics. The job change, family life, and the loss of my friends has really limited who I really talk to these days on a regular basis. And to that, my close remaining friends who do not live close. It's kind of sad. Mm. So so when listening to you guys, you fill a really big hole. Uh, it's just like sitting down with my friends and discussing the books, Trek, Star Wars, or whatever. Oh, if we fill that hole, that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. I really mm. needed it, so thanks. Now, if I could just find a way to to real-time talk back. Anyway, regarding your Christmas show, listening to your discussion of X-Men 143 made me go and pull it out. <laughs> Please don't pull it out in front of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I thought was funny was how the Blackbird was shortened so much. Wasn't it supposed to be a modified SR-71? Well, yeah, it was shortened, <laughs> I guess. Also, in adding to your alien discussion, didn't I read somewhere that Byrne had based Kitty's appearance on a young Sigourney Weaver? I don't know. That's possible. I have no idea, but that's interesting and seems like it could be. Yeah. Finally, after listening to Scott once more speak of the greatness of Rich Buckler, I had to go online and really look at some of his artwork. It's funny, there were a few artists back then that caught my eye. You have already read my waxing over burn in letters past. There were a few that I recognized right away in the 60s, 70s, and 80s as ones I would like and followed. Neil Adams, some of my first Batman comics were Adams' work. George Perez, his Justice League work, and of course his Titans work grabbed me. Frank Miller, Daredevil and Wolverine miniseries are my Casablancas. John Romita Jr., I loved his Spider-Man and Iron Man. Steve Ditko's work was easy to spot, but the only titles he worked on that I sought were his 60s Spider-Man and the start of Doctor Strange. Great stuff there, in my humble opinion. Mike Grell, never read his Warlord or Legion stuff. I found him with his John Sable series, One to Spotlight. Uh, I I love his uh, Legion stuff, actually, personally, and and Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Keith Giffen, I loved his work on Legion and will always have a soft spot for Ambush Bug another one which you guys need to spotlight or maybe I could for you Bill Sienkiewicz, I loved when he made his change it doesn't always work with every title but his love and war graphic novel for Daredevil and Elektra Assassin miniseries blew me away now Sienkiewicz is one of these guys that I'm hit and miss on uh, it, it's such a stylish, moody look that for me, certain times it works and certain times it doesn't. I don't know how you stand on him. I know Scott well, loves him. My first exposure to him was uh, when, 
when did he take a, it was doing new mutants was when he was early in the run and that was my first experience it was it was out there but i thought it felt it fit the tone of what was going on in the book really well that was with the whole demon bear right. stuff going on then uh letter goes on kyle baker stood out to me as an inker look at his new mutants work with butch geis my point here is I didn't always recognize the workmen that did good work. I didn't hate them like I hated Al Milgram's work. I just never thought about them until recently. Now I love the works of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. That would be his name. I almost, I almost forgot to say it. <laughs> and really like the Buckler stuff. I guess I need to go back and look some more. So what? Oh, see what you guys do. Well, you know what? If we make you think, then we're doing the right thing, I guess. God knows it's more than I do. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Now, I think I was one of the few that actually has a couple of bizarre adventures. I found a really good solo Iceman story and one with Nightcrawler as well. Uh, There was a Phoenix story there as well, but it was not as memorable. Does anyone know what the history of Bizarre Adventures magazine, of the Bizarre Adventures magazine? Yes, I do. I'm curious as to how it got started. Was that a way to tell more mature-themed superhero stories, like the non-hero stuff we saw in Warren magazines of the day? Is that what became epic? All right, I'll interrupt. Well, let me just finish the letter. Anyway, love the show. Keep recording them. I'll keep listening. Thanks, Brian Hughes. Uh, Bizarre Adventures actually started as a magazine. I believe it was called uh, Marvel Presents. I'm pretty sure the name was. It wasn't Marvel Premiere, was it? No, not Marvel Premiere. That was that was a comic. This was a magazine, a black and white magazine, you know, full sized magazine. Uh, They had the black and white Punisher story in it, solo story in there. That was actually the Punisher's first solo story, Uh, and and they had a uh, what you call it. I remember reading that. I I could have swore I remember reading that Iceman, a Nightcrawler, and a Phoenix story. Yeah, they were all in one, black one issue white. together. Oh, you know what? I think I got a black... There was like a reprint a few years ago of those, and it was like X-Men Black and White, I think is what it was, in the yeah. 90s. The Nightcrawler story, I recall, you know, it was him and the Vanisher, and they kept teleporting to different places. <laughs> uh, but the issue that we did with the Santa Claus story, I believe, was the first issue where it was down to a comic book-sized magazine, but it was still, obviously, a more adult content than, uh, you know, regular comics. Yeah, Epic Illustrated, I think, was... Uh, there was a long... There was a Galactus story in there. I think the last Galactus story was in there. Yeah. I remember that. And a bunch of other out-there stuff. I used to have a lot of those. Yeah, I had the first couple. I think I may still have them, but... uh. It was something, you know, I, I never got too much into Epic Magazine, but it was that was a totally different animal from uh, Bizarre Adventures. Hmm. And I think that does it for our email today. So let's take another break, and then we'll come back and do our comics. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, Maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. 
Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh, oh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks everyone for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! How the hell did you find me, and how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website. TwoTrueFreaks.com and I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks Network and in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally no oh okay well does it mean that i'll get some cannoli of course the Demanzo family originated cannoli in fact we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes come check out just one of the guys every friday at two true freaks dot com all right we're back and bill you have the marvel today Yes, and uh, tonight we did a quick, uh, truly random grabbing of books, and I did a quick, quick synopsis. And the book I came up with tonight is from Marvel Comics, and it is Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Volume 1, Issue 18, cover date January 1979, on sale October 3rd, 1978, cover price 35 cents. And our cover credits are penciler Herb Trempe and inker Jeff Rubenstein. And on our cover, we see Godzilla is unleashing his fiery breath upon a rat. The cover teases Battle Beneath 8th Avenue as we see the King of Monsters in Mortal Kombat with the King of the Sewer. And our and uh, all of the indentia and information comes to us from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And we have our writer of this issue is Doug Mensch, penciler Herb Tremping, inker Daniel Green, letterer Diana Albers, colorist Bill Sheehan, editor Jim Shooter. And our 
story title is Fugitive in Manhattan. Our opening page has Dum Dum Dugan getting a <laughs> from Godzilla, scorching his face and mustache. A diminutive Godzilla is in a cage small enough to hold a bird. Having been shrunk last issue by Pym Particles, Dr. Takaguchi and Dr. Hawkins are very excited with the specimen while Dum Dum hopes to trim his singed facial hair and check on his nose. On the bridge, Hugh Howard plots pilots the craft back to New York with young Robbie as his co-pilot. And a quick little rundown because I had to do some research on this book because I was not sure who the particulars were. And basically, we have the Godzilla squad, which has being led by Dum Dum Dugan a Shield. And in this episode, also, we'll see Jimmy Woo and uh, was it Gabe Jones? And then, and then Dr. Tamara. Do I have Dr. Takaguchi? Man, I wish uh, Luke Jack and he was here to pronounce this stuff. <laughs> Dr. Yuriko Takaguchi and his grandson, Rob are on board and then we have uh hugh howard hmm wonder who that's supposed to be got any ideas paul uh any anyway howard hughes oh oh, yeah. oh who would have thought that's it was so cleverly concealed i couldn't yeah I, I would never figure out and basically they're flying around on the giant modified shield heric helicarrier called the behemoth so that gives us a quick little down dirty backstory uh, to cover the who's who particulars of this issue. So, on the bridge, Hugh Howard pilots a craft back to New York with young Robbie as his co-pilot. Robbie feels guilty for his part in Godzilla's capture and goes to check in, in on him. As he enters the room, Godzilla is it, it, blah, blah, enters the room Godzilla's in. He is watched by Tamara and Jimmy Woo through a nearby window. They watch as the boy talks to the creature, trying to gain its trust. Later, on the East River in New York, a tugboat captain is terrified by a sudden darkening of the sky, but is the airborne juggernaut, the Behemoth, which has returned to New York. And like I said before, this is the mobile base of the Godzilla Squad. Aboard, we're privy to a conversation regarding how long that Godzilla will stay shrunken. <laughs> Unfortunately, they have no way of knowing for sure. <laughs> it could be 24 hours. For 24 days, because they're not sure how the pin particles react with his physiology. The crew begins to depart the behemoth via a small boat underneath when Dr. Hawkins takes a spill on the stairs and Godzilla is on the loose. Q Saga on the loose, which was released in December 1982, proved to be their breakout hit in America, which peaked at number 26 on the Billboard charts in March 1983. Back to the that action. That was a long distance dedication. Thank you. That's a, yeah, I don't have a good Casey on, on hand. So, Back to the action. Dr. Hawkins says, oops, and Dum Dum smells a rat, and it smells like Rob, since the cage had had a spring catch and shouldn't have opened. Rob, however, conveniently doesn't remember what happened when he visited the creature earlier. The team splits up in search of the tiny beast. Meanwhile... He has climbed into a nearby dock and watches as they search for him. He sneaks away to explore the city and almost gets flattened by a cab. Hey, I'm walking here! Diving down into a sewer, he avoids the peril on the street and is treated to a taste of the Big Apple. Not a good taste, though, as the water is horrible, slick, and slimy. Searching for a way out, Godzilla meets 
Ratzilla. Back on the modified helicarrier, Rob and Mr. Howards are talking, and Rob sneaks away to, and sounds the alarm, which allows him to sneak into an equipment locker and grab some scuba gear and dive off the, off the behemoth to go in search of Godzilla. In the sewers, the fight is on. Let's get ready to rumble! And in this corner, we see Godzilla with a vicious chest strike to Godzilla. Godzilla strikes back, clawing at Radzilla. Radzilla cr- crunches down onto Godzilla's forearm, to which Godzilla sh- shrugs him off and tosses him into the water. Godzilla follows him into the water, not liking the taste of the water, as they grapple underneath. Oh, and the rat goes for the neck bite. Oh, oh down goes Zilla. Down goes Zilla. But Godzilla isn't down for long as he turns and he fights and he blasts the rat with a little smoke and a little fire. Godzilla is still the king. Hail to the king, baby. And as Godzilla climbs out, he sees the rat struggling and he smells the, the vicious, nasty smell of burning fur. And the ratzilla goes under. Long live the king. As Godzilla finishes the fight, Outside of the sewer, he hears a voice. Rob is calling out to him to come out before he grows too big and is attacked by the others. Rob hears the reptile coming out behind him uh, uh, behind him out of the sewer and turns to see him grow to four feet tall and menacing, menacingly approaching the small boy. Next time, the brawl on the docks. And that is that. I think we should say that no real rats were killed in the reading of this comic. <laughs> no real rats or small Godzillas were hurt in the film, in the writing of this book. Well, I don't know when they wrote it. All I can say is when we read it. <laughs> when we read it, yes. I didn't have a little, you know, I wasn't acting something out here with a small lizard, with an iguana and a rat. Yeah, or my I, cat I have, in a, in a I rat. I have no house. idea what kind of uh, research Doug Mensch did as far as rodents and <laughs> that type of thing. So I can't say anything about the writing. I don't know. That was a pretty dramatic uh, rat fight. It may have been totally realistic. Yeah. Especially the part where the, the reptile spews forth fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could happen. In the sewer. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. I like the way they kind of went with the storyline here, though. Because you got to figure, it's re- got to be really hard to write stories. You know, we talked about it with when we were doing uh, Man-Thing. Uh it's got to be right, really hard to, to write a story where your main character really, you know, doesn't speak, doesn't, you can't really say what they're thinking to speak of. Well, wasn't you know? that also, was that also a uh, Doug Minch? That was it Steve does? Gerber, that issue. Steve Gerber. What am I thinking? Oh, okay. Sorry. Hmm. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's why uh, you yeah. have to have, like, the Godzilla squad, because you got to have somebody for your point of view characters, you know? Right, right. You got to bounce off something off of somebody that can give you some some feedback instead of. Rrr. But I, but I, mean, I think it's it's pretty clever. You know, you're, you to come up with things. You know, okay, you shrunk them down, so now it's a totally different set of experiences. Yeah. yeah, and dynamic that he's going to experience. So you could explore. You know, they they had him growing back really fast, which nowadays, you know, you figure he'd probably stay small for a year or two before they'd tr- have him grow back again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we'll find in later issues what happened. Did uh, did Rob actually unlock his cage? You know, when he went in there to talk to him, because I mean, I didn't go super in depth into it, but it does say that you know that the Godzilla was you know 
giving him a, a small roar uh, like of trust but it, but even then it says was it a small roar of trust or hate you know so I think it's trust because when he was down in the sewer and Rob called him he came out yeah but then, I don't know he's looking kind of menacing there I don't I, I don't really nah. remember it's been so long but I don't think uh, I did glance ahead but I don't I didn't read straight through to see what exactly if he saved him but I did see as he got larger and larger in the city what was going on and I backed up like an issue to see that basically they shrunk him down and they caught him with like a big net like a butterfly net <laughs> so but we do kind of see things from Godzilla's you know they're kind of giving him his perspective that that the water is pretty nasty that he's used to you know they say that he's used to going through cities at it you know but not at this height mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he's he's kind of in awe of some of the sounds and it's overwhelming him you know he right. almost gets hit by a cab well that's that's like everybody yeah I'm, I'm wondering why the rat's carrying a bone <laughs> when he comes down there the rat's uh. just been gnawing on somebody else his previous uh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking it as... Cause, and, and Godzilla actually comes around the corner. So he comes upon the rat, not the other way around. Right. And I, I'm thinking that the rat was sitting there chewing on a bone and Godzilla came around the corner. Yeah. Um, hold on, I was looking at... Uh, there was one really good shot in here I liked... Art wise, I like Herb Trimpey art. I think the uh, the, the long shot of the uh, that's the just city. the one I was looking at, the one with the behemoth over the river. Right, I think that's a really nice shot. But I, I'm I'm I, the the shot I don't like is when they show the tugboat captain with his mouth open. <laughs> that that looks bad. But other than that, I, I like Herb Trimpey art. I think his his style is one that you either like or dislike. It's not. It's very polarizing, I think. Mm. Uh, but I, I always liked it, and I don't know if it's because Trimpy was drawing the Hulk when I started reading it, and I just, you know, kind of got used to it and, and enjoy it, or if, uh, you know, if I would think it was good if, if I didn't have the nostalgia aspect to it. I'm not sure. I've never had an issue with his Hulk work. I mean, this is adequate for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean... It's not good or bad. It's 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 just there. I mean, but I, I mean, I, I I have liked some of his Hulk stuff better. Maybe it's the colorist on this or, or or the inker. I'm not sure. The coloring is nothing special in this. Uh, it, it, he used a lot of bright colors, which I think this this could actually do well. I think they could have darkened up. Mute, muted, yeah. They could have darkened up the greens on Godzilla. You know, he's just like way. He's like iguana green. Or even even the backgrounds, I think, could have been a little bit moody or a little bit darker, especially mm-hmm. when he's down in the sewer. Yeah, I mean it's the sewer for God's sakes, pretty well lit sewer. Because maybe he's got Godzilla vision. But o- overall, I like the artwork. I, I'm not really familiar with Dan Green as a, an inker, uh, but it seemed like he you know he did an okay job on it. And it's pretty clean, uh, and I like and like I said, I like the Trimpy style. You know, I think this rat was kicking his ass until he pulled the fire gimmick on him. Oh, yeah, he was going down. 
Yeah, I mean, he was chomping on them all over the place. Go right. <laughs> and then we have a fruit pie ad. Captain Marvel meets the Dreadnought. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't have that? Oh, you got the PDF? Sorry. I got it. I got it in mine. Well, I guess we won't cover the ads. There's an ad for pizzazz. Or an air gun. I believe it's an air gun. It's a fantastic ad for... Didn't I just say I'm not going to cover the ads? I guess I should. Yeah, tell me tell me about the ads, Bill. Tell me about more. Oh, there's one of those Star Wars ads. Rabbits. rabbits. Tell me about rabbits. There's ads. And I will love them and pet them. I will name them Mr. Screwface. Mm-mm. I like Dum Dum Duggan. He's pretty worried about his mustache. Well, if you were Dum Dum Duggan, you'd be worried about it, too. <laughs> That's my trademark. Oh, and I can't believe Howard or Hugh Howard makes a... Uh... Oh, <laughs> the, You know the line I'm talking about, right? Well, I just thought you were talking about Hugh Howard in general. Not, I, I'm not sure which line you mean. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's when he's supposed to be watching um, Rob, and he says, But why, boy? Why'd you have to go and do it to me? When Dum Dum finds out about this, he'll have my tail looking like a spruced goose. And and to any of our younger listeners out there who don't know what the spruce goose is, it's a giant seaplane that Howard Hughes built that only flew once and is now docked next to the Queen Mary in Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. I didn't know where it was, but yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that, that, those are the things where it's like, it's not clever because it's not concealed well enough and it's just too cute for its own good. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of down and dirty. I mean, it was nice. You know, it was... I might re- re- read some more of them because I pretty much got the whole run. Um, and I kind of started right here in the middle when I did a random pick tonight. So I might go back and see where this book came from and see where it goes. I know yeah, it's, it's going to... It's, it's, my memory of it is it's all along the lines of this. You know, which... You know, it's good, just good uh, reading, nothing earth-shattering, but, you know, enjoyable. Well, they do have the Red Ronin in here. Well, we didn't we cover that issue? If you did, you covered it before I came on. Uh, maybe we did. We Red Ronin. Co- Red Ronin. We oh, definitely wait, that's, covered that's, one. That's, Red Ronin. <laughs> that's a Shining. Never mind. Yes, I, I'm aware. <laughs> we covered one, but I, <clears throat> I don't know if it was before you were on on that. <laughs> so that would be PB... Pre-bill? Pre-bill. <laughs> or PD, pre-dug. Or BB. BV? Before bill? Hmm. Let's look on a 3D BB. Come on, what's that from? It's uh, the man who, the man with all the answers. Tennessee Tuxedo. Yeah, but they're going to see Mr. Whoopi. Yeah, the man Let's with all the see. answers. Let's go see Mr. Whoopi. Duh, did it, D. That was Chumley, by the way. Yes. Not the guy off of Pawn Stars either. 
when Tennessee was uh, Don Knotts, and I don't know if anybody famous. Oh, no, Tennessee was uh, not Don, Don Knotts. Adam. Don Adams, excuse me. Don Knotts, not Don Knotts. But I don't know if anybody famous did Chumley. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that was on the the Underdog Show, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, with it was. Commander McBrag and Go Go Gophers. Oh yeah. You got a plan? We have fun. That was that was not too stereotypical or uh, racist. Simon says I'm going to rule the world. I I like those, and in fact, I had gotten. I think I'd taken a DVD out of the library of some old underdog cartoons, and this a few years ago, but uh. I put it on and my kids were glued to the TV set with it. So it, it does hold up, unlike a lot of old cartoons. Was it Wally Cox, Underdog? Yep. Yep. Either rain or treat. Just me, Underdog. When Polly's in trouble, I am not slow. It's hip, 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 and away I go. <laughs> help, help! In the compartment of my ring, <laughs> I don't even remember now. He was, was a he, pill, he was a pill popper. He was a pill popper. He, he, yeah. he had steroids. Oof. Hey, all right. Mm. Yeah, come on. I'm underdog. <laughs> Polly. Polly, what's wrong with you? Why do you let Simon Barsinus always capture you? This is bullshit. I have, more, I have shoes to shine. <laughs> don't you see I'm trying to make a living so I can take you out and take you to places? No, I have to take pills and steroid myself up to protect you, stupid dog. I, I can't stand you. And then they uh, they did the movie recently, not that long ago. I think I'm projecting a little myself. You think? Talk. No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, they had the movie in 2007. The live I, Yeah, that was kind of funny. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Peter Dinklage as a... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I feel, well, yeah. Simon Boss Sinister. Yep. And what was it? Uh, Jason Lee was the voice of the dog. Yep. I think. Yep. And, and Patrick uh, Warburton was Cad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but who was the voice of Polly? Was it? Amy what's her name? Adams. No. Oh, that's right. Wow. And she would go on to be Lois. How fitting. Yeah, that is kind of kind of ironic. How did you think of that? Didn't make that connection till now. She was meant to be Lois. Which, you know, going back to your guys' discussion on um, uh, when I was listening to Adventures of Superman, you know, it's really not a big deal that Lois Lane was a redhead. She was a redhead in the, in the 50s. What did we say about it? Do you recall? I don't recall if you guys said something directly because I mean I don't re- maybe I just have because I've still got like an hour left. Um, I don't I don't think we I don't think anybody was bothered by that. Well, no, I mean I I know some people. Oh, well, Lois Lane's not a redhead. Well, she was. Not not-, not in your guys' group. I'm saying I think I've heard it in other groups or listed. You know, oh, how can she be a redhead? Hmm. No, I, I didn't have. I don't care about that stuff. I, I I more or less just have a problem with Lois Lane actresses in general because uh, for the most part I, I don't see too much where I'd say okay if I was Superman I'd be interested in this woman. Mm. Was it Phyllis Coates? I kind of thought yeah, 
And uh, at least at the time, I thought Terry Hatcher for a while. But the re- the rest of them, for the most part, I'm kind of like, eh. I always liked the picture of her in a cape and nothing but the cape. Well, so I always thought she was hot, so. Well, yeah. I wouldn't kick her out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> well, Maybe chili. I'm, I'm sure Maybe she'll sleep well tonight with that knowledge. Because <laughs> chili just gets everywhere. It's messy. Messy, messy. Sorry, I've been watching uh, Christmas cartoons too. Frosty, little Frosty there. Happy birthday! <laughs> thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity. All right, we got another book to do. Okay. <laughs> what, you, what, what book Ooh. do you have? Uh, I got Godzilla. <laughs> I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> Come on! I'm just I'm fighting this rat in the sewers. <laughs> All right. Well, I got the it's DC today. Me down to the size of a bird. This goddamn cage. I still have the DC today. And uh, I did Steal the Indestructible Man number one from March of 1978, which has a cover price of 35 cents. The credits on the book are Jerry Conway, writer slash creator, Don Heck, penciler slash designer, Joe Giala, inker. Now, just as a side note, Joe Giala comes from East Meadow, which is the town I live in. And he's still here as far as I know, and I believe he's like in his mid to late 80s. Uh, Ben Oda is the letterer, Al Tolan the colorist, and Al Milgram the editor. The cover was by Don Heck and inked by Al Al Milgram, and it shows Steele in kind of an active pose facing the reader with three scenes behind him in a muted yellow which show Steele's origin effectively. And the words tell us, from the fiery forge of war strides a hero. And for anyone not familiar with the character of Steel, he has a red suit with blue trunks, blue boots, and blue gloves, a white star and a red circle on his chest, and a red mask with a blue fin on top, and white and blue piping on his costume. You know who he kind of looks looks like compared to Marvel? You, You know the character, the Red Guardian? He's a Soviet Simil- guy. Yes. Yeah. Sim- it's almost yeah. Just the colors are kind of changed. I think even has the. Look. Yeah, and don't don't they have a fin on their heads? Maybe. I'm pretty sure Red Guardian had a fin as well. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, don't be sorry. No problem. I I I didn't want to forget that for later. No. The uh, <laughs> that's not a problem. The splash page shows steel crashing through a stone wall. On the left, there are three faces and a marquee with the Maltese Falcon showing. Uh, On the right, we have a a headline saying that Hitler has invaded Poland, a shot of Hitler himself, and a really kind of dopey-looking Nazi villain. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and, like his face there looks like when you go to take somebody's picture and then as you're taking it, they blink. Uh. So so then in the picture, they look kind of like they're high. Heil Hitler. <laughs> he could he could be related to Goom, perhaps. I'm the Heil man. Hi, I'm a Nazi. <laughs> the story opens in August of 1939, and we are narrated basically by the journal of Henry Hank Haywood, and he starts out in Munich, Germany. He's lamenting the fear. Uh, that's being caused by the Nazis there. He's attending a German medical conference along with Dr. Giles, who has developed a biological retardant to surgically replace limbs. 
whatever that is. The attendees are particularly rowdy, calling him a fraud, and they want him out of the country. One person, however, does believe him, a man named Baron Tudlich, who wears a monocle, so we know what that means. At some point later, he's going to be a villain. And as uh, Hank and uh, Dr. Giles are getting ready to leave, we learn that Hank is engaged to Dr. Giles. Dr. Da, da, Dr. Giles' daughter. Do, 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 da, da, da. That's all I want to say to you. <laughs> Hank sees two sh- soldiers beating up an old man and comes to the rescue and pretty handily beats up the two soldiers. And at that point, our hero returns to New York. Uh, you know, you know they're beating up Boris, and they're going to pay for that. Dr. Doom's going to come after them? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> Keep interrupting. It's fine. I'm just thinking, like, but like, you know, it's two two trained soldiers, and he's just a medical assistant. He comes over, he beats the crap out of them, but basically, yeah. no problem. So anyway, they return to New York and they discuss what's going on in Europe. And immediately, Hank goes barreling off to join the Marines. Gloria, who is Dr. Giles' daughter and Hank's fiance, is none too happy with him. And she tells him that, and she, then she leaves in a huff. He goes through basic training, she comes over, yells at him for signing up, and then just leaves. Meanwhile, off the shores of Long Island, a U-boat shoots a, torpe- a torpedo, which has a hulking Nazi villain in a purple and yellow costume. And uh, he meets up with three men and declares that his name is Baron Death. He has come up with some experimental weapons which need to be tested. We cut back to the Marine base where Hank is walking in a self-pity mode and stumbles across the two saboteurs planting dynamite by an ammo bunker. In the course of their battle, one of the saboteurs lands on the plunger, detonating the dynamite. <laughs> the, two, the two saboteurs are dead, and Hank is severely injured, and we're basically told he's going to probably even be sorry that he lived. From there, we cut to the hospital where Hank is wrapped up like a mummy, it's just totally cleanly wrapped in, you know, from head to toe. He's lying in bed, and Dr. Giles declares that Hank will never be the same, even if he does survive. Hank asks Dr. Giles to test him with the biological retardant. And uh, I'm not sure that these people know what a retardant is. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't it's think it's something that prevents something. Yeah. Or holds something back. I generally don't find that as something like, that makes you like, heal. Like fire retardant clothing does clothing that was resistant to burning. So a biological retardant would be uh, something that's resistant to actually a biological function. I'm just I'm picturing uh, the Princess Bride. That word you use, I'm not sure you know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see him wrapped up as the mummy. Like, He's basically saying, please, under no circumstances should you use the biological retardant on me. What? What? You want me to use the biological retardant? (laughs) I said the sheriff is a... (laughs) Anyway, Dr. Giles has Hank transferred to a private institute where he can experiment on him till his heart's content. And they start with a series of surgeries. His crushed bones are replaced with steel tubes. Micromotors are placed in the joints. He's also given an artificial lung. 
much like our member of our justice uh, of our Avengers team. The Iron Lung. Uh, he's given some other backup organs as well. And finally, he's given some type of skin growth formula thingy. Now, wait a minute. It says, finally, the most painful, the bio-retardant, was used to induce skin regrowth. <laughs> I'm going to retard you to cause it to grow. Anyway. Where did you go to medical school? <laughs> to the I hope they threw you out of Germany, you quack. They... <laughs> so, after the surgery, basically, uh, Hank starts to test his limits and finds that he has super strength. He can stay submerged underwater for 30 minutes and has super skin. Kind of the comic book version of the Bionic Man, almost. The Willie Rust? <laughs> Oral can. Mm. <laughs> Once he's recovered, Gloria feels comfortable enough to nag him about his desire to do the right thing God, and walks off and her... off again. Who picks out her clothes? Man, that's a bit... it hurts my eyes just looking at that dress. <laughs> it's yellow with a bow around her neck, and then it's like there's spots in the yellow. Oh, oh my God, who is her tailor? She knows she shouldn't wear that after September anyway. Anyway... <laughs> We've just heard Dr. Bill's fashion moment. <laughs> no shoes. Oh. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, she's got the little bow. I don't know. She's a cutie. Actually, she, but she really does come off as a bitch. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, now that you've recovered, you what do you mean you want to help us win the war? <laughs> I need time for me. So mm -hmm. Hank does what any one of us would do in the same situation. He starts to work on creating a superhero costume. Just like Bob Dylan said, just like a woman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not so, working on a costume, going back to Gloria. Yeah. Calling Gloria. So, where was I? <laughs> so anyway, he makes his costume and then he goes off on patrol and comes immediately comes across three men breaking into the camp to steal weapons. Now this is a little peculiar though, because they have their new weapons that they smuggled over in that uh, U boat that shot the torpedo with Baron death. And they were <laughs> supposed to be some sort of like new advanced weapons. So they're coming over to the army base to break in, to steal some old weapons so that they can compare them. Yeah, we have better weapons. <laughs> let's let's risk everything to steal weapons that we don't even want to use just to see that ours are better. <laughs> Why don't they just test this and see if they work? But whatever the case may be, uh, he confronts them and basically beats the shit out of them and then leaves them for the base M MPs to pick up. Then he goes and hides behind the tree while the MPs come and take them away. And he declares that he's ready to be to dedicate himself to stopping men like Baron Death. And I'm not even sure how he knows of Baron Death's name. And we get a montage of him fighting various saboteurs and bad guys. And then we're told that this is just the beginning and that's the end of our issue. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's all over the place. Kind of a strange one, really. But I don't know. I... I I could see where, you know, you got to remember this came out at a point, you know, in the 1970s, you had the Invaders, you had the All-Star Squadron. I don't know if the All-Star Squadron had started yet, 
or if it came up shortly after this. But it was it was in an era where you know the nostalgic World War Two you know comics was not an uncommon thing. And right. I could see where this kind of fit into that mold. You know, he killed those two guys on that last page. The two yeah. that left for the MPs? No, on the very last page, where he takes the two guys and he smacks their skulls right together. <laughs> That's what Superman used to do. He picks these guys up, bonk. And then Baron, Baron Death in the corner still looks Baron Death. Ha. like. Looks like he's yawning. Uh, I'm going to get you. I mean, he's, I guess he's supposed to look menacing with the shaking his fist and all. But he looks like he, looks like he's saying, hey. <laughs> you killed those guys. What are you doing, my man? Where's Otto? Otto. Hans. Did you ever read this one before or any of these books? I'm familiar with Steel from, from Justice, Justice Society. Yeah, from the Justice Society. And I, I think, think that's actually his his grandson. Yeah, but I'm also I wanna say from Infinity Inc. That's possible. Not sure. It's been a while since I because I, I my first uh, brushing with the Justice Society was not like it wasn't the All Star Squadron, wasn't the Tales, maybe some of the crossovers with the Justice League. But the first major one I had was like Justice Society versus America. It was like a, I think it was a four issue miniseries where their pair Degaton, whatever, had like there was a Batman um, diary that accused the Justice Society of being traitors in the war, but I think it was some big per degaton plot. Uh, I remember reading the shit out of that when I was a kid. Eating Doritos for some reason. Those two memories are linked. I don't know. <laughs> I think that was my first brushing with, with Doritos. But I digress. And why do I tie food to comics? wonder why I'm fat and I have so many comics. Hmm. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> no. This uh so this who was the artist on this one again? Don Heck. Don Heck. Yes, I recognize that now from some of the other Superman ones we've done. But this one seems different though. Again, it, maybe it's the inker on this. Everybody in this seems a little bit and I don't think it's the inking because it's the way it's laid out. Every all the characters seem to be much more hefty. The men, not not Gloria. Yeah, they, they seem very very thick and beefy in in the way they're drawn. And I don't know it it. You know I, I've made no secret effect that I'm not the biggest Don Heck fan in the world, but it almost has, not quite a golden age look to it, but a look of an older book. Yeah, because this this came out in when, when did this come out again? Seventy eight. Yeah, it does seem to have an older. Almost looks air, like a book that would have come it. out in the in the late fifties or early sixties. Almost. Yeah, like an early Silver Age book. Hmm. So I, I I think you know, of the artists around, he may not have been a bad choice to do a retro book. Now I'm just, I'm just scrolling through every. Every time there's a car, they leave this massive cloud behind them. What's there? That much auto pollution back then? 
<laughs> to like show the exhaust. Could be. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's that may be historically accurate. <laughs> and Alvin has jumped up on the window because somebody let him in here again. Anyway. How do you do, Alvin? Get back down. <laughs> I like the German guys. They're like, he makes mincemeat out of them. I like when uh, when Dr. Giles is testing his limits. He basically hits him over the head with a, with a metal pole. Yeah, wouldn't that, like, break his hand? <laughs> what, if, well, what, what, if, what if he didn't have all the super strength? He's just testing it now. <laughs> I did not reinforce your head. I'm sorry. Oops, my bad. <laughs> super strength, super skin. Oh, regular skull. Sorry very much. Heck, we've succeeded beyond our wildest imaginings. I'm no longer a kook. I mean, I am <laughs> accepted and... Uh... Hold your breath with your artificial lung. You can stay submerged for 30 seconds. Wait, did I say seconds? <laughs> I meant minutes. I like to wait. Like, every once in a while when... when... An artist draws somebody running. They just get like a, a weird pose for it. Uh, in the upper left corner of page 17. 17. Ugh, I can't find it. I'm so useless. When he's he's fighting the, uh, the two men on the base. Oh, okay. Here's 18. 18's the very last page of the story. The page before that. Oh, yeah. They- <laughs> It looks like he's dancing a little jig. Hans Ludwig, let's yeah. Now it's timeless brackets when we dance. <laughs> no uh, answer. Have the Domkoffs deserted me? If so, they will play for their treachery with their lives. You know. You know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna go out on a limb. Uh, the last episode when we talked to Scott about, uh, you know, when we do issues and then he he feels bad that he wasn't there because he would have loved to have done these issues. I'm not thinking he's going to feel that way about the two we did today. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think he's going to miss the the throwdown in the sewer. Although he, I think the Godzilla one he'll miss. He'll, well, he'll feel worse about than this no, one. No, I think he'll miss this because of the All-Star Squadron slash JSA tie-ins, I think. I think, he, I think he, he'll surprise you. Maybe, maybe. You know what? Scott... Why don't you send us an email? <laughs> I think that's a good spot to go out. Yeah, I think that works. <laughs> uh, I got 20 minutes of us laughing to cut out. God. Uh, that's almost... It's almost too bad we can't put that in. But just not give it a context, just laughing. You know what? You should just add it on to the end. Nah, because then it won't seem as funny if you add it on to the end of like what we just did. Yeah, I don't know. I'll see if I can play with it a little bit, though. Maybe if if I can work the laughing fit in there, then I will. Maybe you should just make that the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, hold on. We can't do that. (laughs) What, you think you're laughing? Just start that one again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What are you laughing for? Did I not do the trumpet? I just thought it was funny to do that again. Do it one more time. <laughs> Is this going in? <laughs> no. No. But I just was I was messing with you. Sorry. <laughs> you. <laughs>
<sighs> and our next email is from. <laughs> pressure medication i'm gonna pass out (laughs) Um, calm serenity now (laughs) i can do this so whenever you're ready Mm. <laughs> I should turn the video feed on. <laughs> you see, I'm crying. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to hyperventilate. Okay. <sighs> yeah, let's see. I don't see you. Do you uh, see me? I'm on the computer that doesn't have the uh, webcam. Oh, you bastard. Like, nobody over you. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mute myself? No, okay, okay. You can. So if you're going to read the letter. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man, this is a long one, too. We're never going to get through this. Nah, Just make this in a mini email episode. Man. Be done with it. <sighs> Come on, read the letter. Okay, all right, there we go. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 